0: Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman.
1: Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, back in my office and behind the microphone again after a number of weeks where uh, you listen to pre-recorded shows of mine on various topics. Uh, It's good to be back. Uh, Three shows ago, I was um, out of, let's see, three shows ago, I was out of town. And a couple shows ago, I came back into town, but I was too tired uh, to do the show. And then last week, I was actually so sick last week that this time... um, uh, a week ago, Friday, I could barely croak, let alone do a show. So, I want to say it's good to be back. Good to be back here, and it's good to be talking to you all again today. Um, I want to let you know if you'd like to give me a call today, talk about any topic of interest. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. You could also, if you wish. Uh, send me an email at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. You can email me if you have any questions. I have the ability to kind of keep track as questions come through. So if you do have questions, feel free to contact me that way. Now, for the last several months I've been going over various kinds of uh, various kinds of situations that have arisen around the state of California and I've come up with interpretations and some comments on those. I I will say that uh, if you've been listening for quite some time and especially for the last month or so you've heard me talk about these special types of petitions that I do which are uh, petitions both to gather in loose assets into someone's trust after they have died and then a petition to modify someone's trust after they've died in order maybe to get a better uh, tax result for the family. I've been doing a lot of those. Um, I currently have several that are pending primarily out of Southern California, but I've done a number here in the Bay Area. And I want to urge you, if you're faced with a situation like that, where you've taken over as the trustee of a trust, and then you find out that, oh my gosh, mom's house is not in her trust, she took it out to get that reverse mortgage or to refinance or something like that, or you're a surviving spouse and you find out um, when you go talk with the attorney that, oh my goodness it turns out that the trust that you have is an older style trust that requires you to divide the property into two or more pieces and you don't really want to do that well i'm the person you can call and i can help you out with that so feel free to give my office a call feel free if you'd like to contact me uh with uh, radio at lawbob that will work as well be very happy to talk with you about that now those of you that have kids like i do you know that it's not much longer before summertime hits. For me, when summertime hits, my work schedule changes fairly dramatically. Uh, I find that, first of all, I have to start my work day later because I have to drop my kids off first at their summer camp, and it doesn't start till 9 o'clock. So actually my my starting time moves back uh, half an hour from 9 to 9.30, And then I still have to go pick them up a few days a week. So there's at least a few days a week that I have to wind things up at about 2.30. However, if you need to make an appointment to meet with me, something I want to announce, besides being able to go through my website, you can now call my office directly uh, between 9 and 1, Monday through Friday, And you'll be able to talk directly with my new administrative assistant, Leslie. I won't give more information than that, but Leslie just joined me this week. She's turning out to be um, everything that I wanted in an assistant uh, and more. Uh, She's bright. She's articulate. She learns quickly, and she also has no problem giving me suggestions about how we can do things better, which is something that I welcome from an assistant of any kind. I want to always do a better job with what I'm doing. I want to ha- do it more quickly, more efficiently, make it easier for the clients, and solve problems as quickly and efficiently as possible. That's how I was raised, and that is kind of my approach as an attorney as well. So what I'm going to do right now, unless uh, unless someone wants to give me a call at 800 516 I'm going to jump right into looking at some of the situations that have come up around the state of California and see see what some of the situations come up and answer some of these questions for people. Now, here's one out of Southern California. Give me a chance to shift things around a little bit here so I can see it a little better. Says, uh, my wife was named co-executor with a stepbrother by her father. The uh, proceeds of the estate sale will be split among seven siblings, expected to be less than half a million dollars. Both a trust and a will was established by my wife's parents. Now let's stop right here and say the wife might be a co-executor on the will, but I think the person is really referring to a co-trustee on the parents' trust. It's a different title and actually has different responsibilities. So both of the parents are gone, they want to know, do we pay taxes, if any, from the lump sum distribution of the proceeds, or are the individual siblings responsible for their respective proceeds? I'd start, start first by saying that unless there's a distribution that's including something that hasn't paid taxes yet, like an IRA or a 401k plan, at a half a million dollars, There is no federal estate tax doing it all on this. In in fact, if there's assets in there as a general rule, if they were owned by the trust and owned by the surviving spouse in that trust, things like real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, precious metals, jewelry, works of art, uh, collections of various kinds, all of those will be revalued to the market value on the date that the father died, and when it is sold, um, as long as it's not sold for more than what it was worth when the father died, there's probably not going to be any tax liability at all for these siblings. Probably not any at all. Now, I can't say definitively there is no, uh, there is none, but uh, but the reality is that... Uh, most estates in that in that state, probably there will be no taxes. But you'd have to look at the trust to see how it was set up in order to be sure. Now here, um, this says, Is my wife entitled to my property if we're still married, but she remarried in another state? I'm trying to buy a house, and I don't want any complications with her. Well, I think the first thing I'd ask this person is, Why are you still married with this person? Have you taken any steps to actually end that marriage? The second thing I'd point out that if the wife is remarried, either she did it because she thought she's no longer married or she doesn't care and she's now basically a bigamist, which means you have married more than one person at the same time. I don't know if I can specifically address this other than the wife might still be entitled to the property if you're married Um, but you know what? I'll cover a little bit more of that after the break. So uh, if you're listening, stay on. We have a few commercials to do, and then we'll be back. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll pick this question up after the break.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about a situation someone's facing here in California. Wanted to know if his wife was entitled to his property, if they're still married, but she remarried in another state. And the situation was this person's trying to buy a house doesn't want any complications. What I suggested was, first of all, why are, uh, is the person still married? It th- seems like if, if the wife moved away and has married somebody else, which is bigamy, by the way, it's a crime, um, why hasn't he taken steps to divorce his wife? That being said, and getting beyond the dynamics of this, the question is, could his wife, who has remarried, somehow claim his property if he buys a house. Well, I'm going to address it from uh, both a minor family law standpoint, which I'm not a specialist in, but essentially, if they are living separated, if they're separated and they have separate finances, it's likely that she has no direct claim against the property that he may buy. However, if he dies and is still married with his wife, who has married someone else in another state she might be able to claim some share of of the property that he bought because she's the surviving spouse so in a situation like that like anything don't leave loose ends around like this that's not a good idea it needs to be taken care of right away okay um see. All right. So, if there is an irrevocable trust that was set up, and there is, um, oh, here we go. Mom has been acting as a trustee on her grandfather's trust for several years since he passed. The trusted sub stated the grandchildren could not have access until they reached age 26. Mom's tired of acting as trustee and would like to pass the duty on to her brother or just let the grandchildren, all now over 18, have access to the accounts. Is there a form to do this? Would it have to go to through court to be approved? Well, let's break this down into its pieces. Mom is acting as a trustee. The trust might provide a way. For mom to resign and a successor trustee take over. It might also provide a way for mom to appoint a successor to herself. In the absence of those possibilities, then someone would have to petition the court in the county where this is located, where this trust is located, and ask the court to appoint a new trustee. Now, the people petitioning could put forth who they would like to act as the trustee. That's a possibility that they can do. Um, But uh, if there is no one, they may need to hire a professional trustee and put them forward to the court to take over. And that's kind of how that would be handled. On the second part of this situation, hey, mom just wants to hand the kids their money. Uh, They're over 18, but apparently not 26 yet. That's more problematic. Now, the trust says hold it till 26. There was probably a reason for that. If um, if Grandma just passes on the money to the grandkids, if she does that and no one complains and they're all happy and go on their lives and there's never an issue, the practical effect of that is no harm, no foul. There's there's no one that's going to complain except the children are the grandchildren. Why would the grandchildren complain? Because let's say grandma gives $100,000 to little Johnny, who's 20 years old. And he says, that's cool. But he's 20 years old. He doesn't know how to handle money, maybe. So he goes and he blows it all. Well, you know what? Little bright boy Johnny might get the idea that, hey, wait, grandma should have held on to this until I was 26 when I was older and more mature. You know what? The grandson could sue grandma for distributing the assets to him before he was supposed to get them at a time when she knew or should have known that he was not really competent to receive that inheritance. Um, And it might very well be that he could get a judgment against grandma for the money that he lost because she gave it to him. It's kind of a messed up world, I agree, but that's the reality of what can happen. When people decide they're just going to act contrary to what a trust says. So this person asked me, I would say, no, unless you want to go to court with the consent of all the grandkids and have the court agree it's okay to do that, then you're protected. Pretty much you can do anything as a trustee, uh, even maybe things that aren't specifically allowed by a trust, if you go to court and ask for permission. And the judge says, that's okay. Here's someone who asks: we used to live in Nevada. Now we moved to California. Is our living trust good in California? We have a house in Nevada that was free and clear, and now we have a mortgage on it. Well, the latter part's not really important. What's important is, is the trust good? Answer is, yeah, it's good. It's kind of good anywhere. Whether or not it has all the things it should have now that you're in California, that's a separate question of, is it good? It's probably going to work fairly well in California because Nevada is a community property state and California is a community property state. Now, that's uh, since it said we, I'm assuming we're talking about a married couple here. So it's probably going to work pretty well here in California. One of the things about Nevada law in general in estate planning is a lot of the estate planning laws in Nevada, they pretty much adopted from or borrowed directly from California law, like their power of attorney law, their advanced health care directive law. I think those largely came from California, and Nevada has a tendency to look at what California is doing ask themselves at the legislative level, is that something we want to do? And if so, then they make it part of their law. Nevada basically has a part-time legislature. And because of that, they only get together now and then to talk about things they should change. And uh, in the area of estate planning, they often look at what California has done. So it's probably going to work fairly well in California if it's a Nevada Community Property Trust. Okay, Uh, here we go. Here's someone. I'm going to skip that one. It's kind of too involved. Now, here's someone asked the question, what's the best way to find out if a signature on a trust is real? Well, you know what? We only have a short time left in this segment, so I'm going to reserve a full discussion of that. Let me set the stage, though. Father passed stepdaughter's trustee of his and his wife's living trust. Wife dies a few years later. And uh, so this person received a copy of the trust where um, was, the person was recognized but has been chosen to be excluded. So that's the setup right there. When we come back after the break, I'll continue this saga of what appears to be the person who is disinherited, but there's more. Talk with you after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back.
2: Sorry, that's what happens when you take a little break and you eat something a little bit too long. Sometimes you have to quickly swallow it, and of course, I'm sure that's never happened to any of you out there. Now, before the break, I was talking about a situation where there were uh, there was a father and mother and had a trust, and um, the person who was um, asking the question. Uh, recently received a copy of the trust after the parents died where the person was identified, but intentionally and with full knowledge was excluded. She and her descendants were excluded, which is fine if it's true. Now, what's questionable, the reason why they're questioning is the person's date of birth was not noted, but the father's wife's children were, and there's no mention of this person's son, which is a father's only blood grandson. Also, there was a sale of um, grandma's house a while ago that sold around 800K, which my father had promised to me. Anyway, I'd just like to know if the document is legitimate. I feel like something's not right. Um, my father knew my birthday. Why wasn't it noted? So really the question there is, How do you find out if the signature on the trust is genuine? First of all, I would likely take someone actually, an expert actually examining the original trust document and then comparing that signature with other samples of the father's signature from other documents, for example. If, for for example, I could see this situation, if the father was in declining health, And he had signed a bunch of things in the previous year, and his signature was getting progressively worse as he signed. And then this trust is signed, and magically his signature is just like it was a couple years ago. That might raise an issue as to whether or not he didn't, did he actually sign it, or did someone forge his signature, then bring a notary in. And, and convince him to tell the notary, oh, yeah, I signed that, I signed that. In, in which case, that might still be valid if he directed somebody to sign for him. There's a lot of things that that could come into a situation like this. But really, it would take an expert to determine whether or not the signature is, in fact, a legitimate signature. Okay. So here, oh, this is an interesting one here, because this, this is kind of stuff I'm sure happens fairly frequently, and as you're going to find out, it's not cool. This person's in California. Uh, mom had a trust in 2011 and then changed it to an irrevocable trust in 2016. And that was um, about eight days could the uh, eight days before mom died, she changed it to irrevocable. Um, now, the question is, until mom's death, could the trust have been changed in any way without me as a trustee being notified? Could sister or brother have coerced mom to draft another trust? Uh, the brother found out that mom changed the percentages of who is going to get what from the estate. Could there be another trust out there that I don't know of? Okay. Enters, yes, there could be a trust, but if mom did in fact change her trust from a revocable trust, change the percentages, and make it an irrevocable trust, at that point it would take the consent and cooperation of everybody named in that irrevocable trust and mom to change it again. There's actually a section of the law. That permits um, permits people. It's it's probate code section fifteen four oh four that permits the creator of an irrevocable trust and all the beneficiaries to collectively modify or change that irrevocable trust. But to create a whole new trust, that really wouldn't work. Uh, that's something that could be pretty easily challenged, because if the trust was in fact irrevocable, it can't be changed without. Everybody in, in being involved and everybody agreeing with it. Okay, so here's someone that says, I'm trying to open a bank account. Some banks don't allow savings accounts to be opened under living trust ownership. So I'm wondering, can we name the trust as beneficiary for the savings? And would anyone see issues in this? The preferred option is to name it in the trust. One of the first things I would tell to someone who came to me and said, hey, my bank won't let me do this, I would say, find another bank. And if you have a lot at that bank, let them know, because you won't let me do this, I want to close out all my accounts and I'm going to the bank across the street. Or I'm going to the credit union where they won't give me such a hard time. You might be amazed at how banks may fall in line and magically find a way to accommodate you if you're going to be taking money out and walking across the street to a competitor. But the second thing is, what if you want to stay with that bank? Well, yeah. What I recommend to my clients is that if they are going to keep an account in their individual name when they have their living trust, here's the things to do. It's not the best approach, but it's better than what most people are likely to do, which is nothing at all. Number one, Make sure that the bank account has power of attorney agents on it. Maybe the people you've named in your durable power of attorney, maybe people specific to that account, but make sure that you have somebody on that account that would have the authority to go into the account if you become disabled and access it or even close it out and then transfer the ownership into or the money into an account owned by your trust. Second thing is name the trust as the pay on death beneficiary of that savings account. Now, there will be a delay after death getting that money into the trust that the law requires. um, Well, actually, the delay will be waiting until you get a death certificate for someone to come in and say, I'm the successor trustee. Here's my evidence. Here's a death certificate. Now I'm in charge of this account. The best way is to get it titled in the trust name. Then there's no question it's number one in the trust. There's also no question that the successor trustee can handle it if you become disabled or after your death. But as an alternative, what I've just outlined will work. It's just not the preferred approach to take. Okay, this this one's actually kind of interesting. Um. My ex and I created a trust 26 years ago. At the time, the trust the attorney that created the trust put an infidelity, infidelity clause in the trust. My ex spent a lot of money on escorts, mistresses, and was unfaithful all the time. I recently remembered a prior attorney that created a trust for us with some sort of infidelity clause. That clause was to stop the adulterers from financially harming the one that was Honest uh, and did not stray. Some penalty to the other. Is anyone aware of such clauses in California? We both agreed at the time, and now I believe that attorney was actually looking out for me. Well, it was 26 years ago. Chances are really good that a clause like that, first of all, I've never seen like anything like that in a trust. You might see something like that in a marital agreement that says if you stay married with me and you're faithful and then you later divorce me and then you get a certain amount of money per year. There may be something that says, hey, if you're unfaithful, then you don't get anything from my property. Uh you can't really stop someone getting their own share of property that way. But like I said, I've never seen anything like that. And I seriously doubt that today in this modern era that a court would enforce it because, uh, because of the nature of what it's trying to do. It's trying to force someone uh, to remain moral and faithful to their marriage. And the reality is that has to be something the person decides is important enough to them, which is to stay faithful to their spouse, faithful to the marriage, and not cheat on them. That's just a reality uh the the fact is that people will cheat uh people will be adulterers it is a condition of mankind and uh and and so a clause like that might work in a marital property agreement where someone had a lot of assets they're bringing into um into a, a marriage and they want to keep them protected from this kind of thing probably not going to work if it was just in a trust like i said i've never seen anything in the trust, uh, in a trust like that, but I don't think it would be enforceable nowadays. Now, I have another one I want to set up here, and and it, it raises a problem that has, um, I'm sure, has come up time and time again. person said, brothers died in December 2018. While we're still at the hospital, this man approached and said the house was his. The house was also being sold at the Sacramento County tax sale last week. I'm lost. I'm the only one still alive. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure if I have any right to the house. I don't want to lose our family home. Well, if it was sold at a tax sale, that means that the brother hadn't been paying the property taxes for at least five years. And that means someone came in to the tax sale, paid all the back taxes... And that would mean now the property is there. So the reality is that the family home is, in fact, probably gone. What that suggests is pay your property tax bill, and this won't happen to you or a family member when the family member dies and the family ends up disinherited. So we're approaching the last segment of the show today. If you want to call, it's 1-800-516-1220. After the break, we'll continue on with more questions and comments from around the state. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break.
1: Now back to plan your estate radio. Once again, your host estate planning, trust and probate law specialist attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back. This is the final segment of our show today. Uh, Last chance to call in. If you have any question, you'd like me to handle on the air. I will say uh, that's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. If you'd like to call in, I will say it is very good to be back on the air, having been off playing with uh, Mickey Mouse a few weeks ago, and then uh, coming back from that, and then being like completely, utterly wiped out from that, and then being sick the week after that. It's it's good to be back behind the microphone. This is I enjoy being here, and I hope you're enjoying this as well. I, I want to mention that uh, I do have Living Trust Seminars regularly in my office. I've kind of cut back to doing them pretty much one day a month. Uh, you can go to my website at lawbob.com and find out and register who there. You can go to eventbrite.com and search for the Living Trust Seminar, and you'll find my upcoming seminars. I'm happy to say that many of the people attending my seminars are fellow listeners um, to you who uh, listen to the show and, and listen to it regularly. And um, and I think if you could talk with them, they'd say they had a good time at the seminar. They learned a lot. It went by quickly and they were entertained, which is what I the promises I make at the beginning of the seminar will go by quickly. You'll learn a lot and you'll be entertained. So absolutely free space is limited. So if you'd like to come, uh, register early. Okay. All right. I've been informed by my engineer, Marco, that uh, there's a caller on the line. Uh, Roger, is that correct? Roger, yeah. are you there?
3: Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. Roger,
2: where are you calling from today?
3: I'm calling from California Bay Area. The tech oh, board. okay. All right. Okay. All right. My question is, if we make a trust on online, like legal Zoom and all that, how we can find out that all the documentations and the language And all the details are correct in that trust and will.
2: Well, as far as as that goes, you probably have to follow um, the advice that's given to you by LegalZoom um, right on their website, which is if you have any questions about what you're doing or what's prepared for you, you need to consult with an attorney. Now, I don't want to get into, uh, let's just say... On the air, I will not share my complete, unadulterated opinion about doing things like this online. Suffice it to say, I think that it is actually uh, shortchanging yourself. There's a lot of things that doing it yourself in this area uh, called estate planning can lead to lots of problems for families later on down the line. I'm aware of people that have used online services and and in the process they've actually created estate plans that were broken once they came came out and uh and would need to actually go to court to fix after someone died so the short answer is you need to have an attorney look at it the longer answer is if you do that the attorney's probably going to tell you not to use it and use something that's more comprehensive uh, did that you know answer that for the, you
3: in- Yes, thank you. Do you have office in Bay Area? Because um, I'm
2: listening to your show first time today. Oh, first time? My office yes. is in San Jose, uh, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Uh, it's at 3535 Ross Avenue, Suite 308, and that's near the corner of Ross Avenue and Hillsdale Avenue. Uh, kind of pretty much right in the middle of San Jose. Easy to get to from Highway 85 from Highway 17 and the Guadalupe Expressway. Uh,
3: Can I get your office number so I can make an appointment before I come in?
2: (laughs) Well, you can go to my website at lawbob.lawbob.com. There's actually a link right there on the website that says Book an Estate Planning Consultation. If you click on that link, it will take you to a place to fill out your name, phone number and an email and you submit that, it will take you right into my online calendar where you can look at your calendar and my calendar, find a date and time. Uh, each date you can do a little drop down to find start times, available times, pick one. That If you pick that, it will put it on my calendar. It will send a confirmation to you and it will also trigger automatically an email to you telling you exactly the paperwork I need you to download and fill out and bring with you, uh, give you instructions on preparing for the consultation. There's even a link to a map with directions to my office. So it's all very automated. Uh, I'm not an engineer, but uh, my engineering friends tell me that I should have been an engineer. So I kind of take an engineering uh, flow process approach, to planning um uh, as an estate planner. So if you're an engineer, uh we'd probably get along just fine. Okay so
3: it's law bob, L A W B O B dot com, right?
2: That's correct. Very easy to remember. I practice law, my name is Bob, L A W B O B dot com. I
3: look forward to meet with you soon. And a great show. I'm okay. enjoying it.
2: you for all the information. Great. Well good keep keep listening then.
3: Sure. I, will. So, I will. so Marco
2: okay, okay. Thank you for calling, Roger. Um, so um, is that Roger or Raja? I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Marco, how much time do we have left? Okay, we got, Marco tells me we have 45 seconds left. So I'm going to say my goodbye now. Uh, you can visit lawbob.com for more information about my seminars or to book a consultation. You can always email me uh, through the website there. You can call me at 408 247 0444 Uh, will either answer or my assistant will answer, or you can leave a message. I get messages throughout the day and in the evening, and I may even call you back on the evening. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, Visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio